The Wicked Smart Sports Guide is brought to you by CellMaxBatteries.com, as always, the go-to website for all your battery needs. CellMax Batteries compares in quality to well-known national brands, and the best part, CellMax Batteries are priced much lower than their competitors. Guys, Christmas is coming up. A lot of those gifts you're buying for your loved ones, they don't come with batteries. Batteries says right on the box, batteries not included. Okay, so you're gonna need to stock up on batteries so that you don't give them it and they can't use it right away because guess what, you don't have batteries. So go to cellmaxbatteries.com, make sure you're stocked up. You can order a 24 pack of AA or AAA heavy duty batteries for only $5.99 or a 24 pack of ultra alkaline, ideal for game and high tech devices, that's a big one, at just $12.99. You can order today and use one code BOSTON, that's all uppercase BOSTON at checkout and save 20% off your entire order. That's one code BOSTON at checkout and say big today, sellmaxbatteries.com, C-E-L-M-X-Batteries.com, the official sponsor of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys podcast. Thanks, as always, to Dolly Dreams for that intro music. This week, we're talking Patriots, a lot to get to there in the last 36 hours or so, and we're going to do that with Guy Boston Sports writer and host of the What A Hardo podcast. Check it out on iTunes. Colin Kanata. Colin, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again, KJ. Not as excited to talk uh, uh, Patriots as I have been in the past weeks, though. Well, there's, there's still a lot to get to. There's still a lot of uh, enticing stuff that's going on. The big news of today was, I don't know if you heard, Spygate 2.0 is going on. The Bengals uh, apparently informed the NFL that a Patriots staffer was videotaping during their game against the Browns. Uh, apparently, he was just filming something some, for some documentary or something like that, but the Bengals were concerned enough due to the Patriots' history that they felt the need to inform the league about it. So, uh, overall, what are your thoughts on this situation? I mean, first and foremost, do we really, I mean, would we really have to film signs from, from the Bengals? I mean, at the end of the day, you would think that if the Patriots were going to cheat against anybody, it would not be against the Cincinnati Bengals. Um I'm going to go ahead and say that this is a non-story, um, one of those classic stories. Um, you know, we, we've talked about it a million times as Patriots fans that the media and fans of other teams like to blow out of proportion. So I'm going to roll with what Schefter said. Uh, assume it was for do your job. Do your job. Hopefully, uh, another one coming out if they win the Super Bowl this year. Um, so yeah, I'm going to assume it was that and that there wasn't any foul play. But I guess I can say I understand why people are always a little skeptical of what we're up to. Yeah, I'd be really surprised if this story really went on any further than it has. The NFL apparently has the tape, so we'll know one way or another what's what's going on very soon. But. I can't imagine it's anything scandalous or incriminating. I just, I don't, after what happened with Spygate, I don't think the Patriots would put themselves through that again. I don't think they would take that kind of risk, especially, as you said, I share similar sentiment against the 1-12 Cincinnati Bengals. You don't need to go uh, to that much trouble to beat them. You can ask the Cleveland Browns, who just did it this uh, weekend. So uh, my overall concern level is pretty low. I, I do pity Cincinnati, though, because... Uh, between this and the fact that the Patriots are probably pretty mad at officials right now, the Patriots are going to come in wanting to destroy them. So uh, th- th- and this is kind of the classic on to Cincinnati game, you know. So uh, as bad as they were going to lose, however bad that was going to be, I assume it's probably going to be twice as bad now. I imagine they're going to go in there with every reason to want to go in and and just kind of embarrass that team. Yeah, absolutely. I think actually Stefan Gilmore said it already. He said we've got a lot of anger to take out on Cincinnati. Um, so yeah, I would I would look for the Patriots. Hopefully, I mean we've been saying it for a long time, and we've been hoping you know that the next game will be the get right game. Oh no, it'll be the next game will be the get right game. I think 
against the Cincinnati Bengals with a little extra fuel added to the fire, I think this has to be the get-right game for the Patriots. Get a little confidence back. All right, well, let's get to the real story, which was, of course, the officiating on Sunday evening against the Chiefs. Uh, You know, the the biggest play of the game, Nikhil Harry's touchdown being ruled not a touchdown, and, and ultimately resulting in the Patriots losing, because if that had been ruled a touchdown... The Patriots would have only been down three, and they were in the red zone on that last drive, and, you know, that that would have been an easy kick, you would presume, for Nick Folk. So it was really, you know, a culmination of the entire game to that point because there were multiple plays, including that Chiefs fumble where if you're a referee, this is what everyone always says, if it's close on a turnover or a touchdown, err on the side of caution, call it a touchdown or a turnover, and then just review it. And they didn't do it on either of those plays and it drastically changed the outcome of the game. I mean, it was amazing what everybody was seeing on Twitter, uh, you know, just everywhere, the fact that Nikhil Harry's foot was very, very clearly not out of bounds, and the fact that that was not called the touchdown is just, it's a ridiculous, and it's a shame, really, because he, he deserved that touchdown, and the Patriots, that game would have played out entirely differently, and the NFL should really feel embarrassed today. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, like you said, you're looking at an overtime game, assuming that Nick Folk can hit literally a chip shot field goal. Um, I know he he has had a, a little bit of struggles and obviously, you know, the health issues, but I would go ahead and assume that he would hit that kick at the end of the game down by three when the Patriots were, you know, inside the 10, inside the 15-yard line. So, I mean, that kick's going to happen and the game's going to go to overtime where now, you know, the Chiefs have scored one field goal all of the second half. I think I like our chances in overtime. So, yeah, I feel like we were blatantly robbed. Um, and, you know, to go back to what you said with the rule, I think anytime it's close, you have to be so sure. Like, if you're going to rule that he's out of bounds, you have to be so sure. Like you said, you err on the side of caution. It's so much easier to rule him, okay, it's a touchdown, you look at it. Wouldn't you rather, you know, have the ref be wrong, but ultimately get the play right and avoid the controversy? I mean, that's at least my opinion. So, I mean... I'm not going to say the rule is flawed, but if you're going to have a rule like that, you need to know how to execute the rule the proper way so that something like this doesn't happen. And like you alluded to, the proper way to execute that rule would be to go touchdown on anything close and move the ball back to the one or two yard line if you have to. Yeah, and after what happened in the Rams-Sands game, not not the NFC Championship, the, the one earlier this year where Jared Goff's fumble was ruled not a fumble and it wiped out that huge return for the Saints, We've seen them call a fumble on more than a few cases where there clearly wasn't a fumble, just to be safe so they don't get the call wrong, and they can review it. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, it was blatantly obvious that they were doing that. So in this case, I don't understand why they didn't. You know, they were erring on the side of caution so they could review it on all these other cases, and you're not going to do it in maybe the biggest and most anticipated game of the year between two of your best teams and two teams that probably played the best playoff game last year. You talk about the Super Bowl wasn't great. The, the real Super Bowl last year was probably Patriots-Chiefs. So that, that's just, quite frankly, absurd. And, and if you can't replay a play like that, I mean, it's almost like, why have it? Because th- th- those are the types of plays that people want to get right. And the fact that you don't is just ridiculous. I mean, those refs overall did a sloppy job. It was just, it, it was one of the worst officiated sporting events I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it, it's not just the fact that you couldn't review that play. The fact that they get it wrong, the fact that they don't call that uh, Stefan Gilmore play a touchdown. I mean, I, th- I think there were like five or six plays during the game where they threw a flag and then they said, oh, there's, there's no foul for that in the play. And it's just, it, it, it was so sloppy. It was ridiculous. I, I mean, it, the refs just were incompetent yesterday. 
Yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, and call for a rule change, but ultimately, you know, isn't the goal, and you know, you don't want to slow down the game too much, but isn't the goal of having a replay system to get something right? Like at all costs, the NFL wants to avoid a situation um, you know, the, the first example that comes to mind, obviously, recency bias is last year in the NFC Championship, like you just briefly mentioned, you know, that was so wrong. And the NFL, you know, is in this position where they dealt with it for the whole offseason, hearing about how wrong they were. So I don't know. I don't know if it's a change to the rules, but, you know, if it's blatantly inbounds like that and you, you understand, OK, it's not a scoring place, so we're not going to review it immediately. Why can't there be someone up in the booth or someone in New York? Because on the first view, you get one view of that play, you know he's in bounds. Why can't someone then phone down and say, all right, we're going to mess this up. We got to get this play right, blow the whistle and go review it. So I, like I said, it's hard to try to adjust the rules and you don't want to slow down the game too much. But I mean, something's got to change because you can't have that continue to happen in games that have massive implications. Yeah, I will say... I do place just a little bit of blame on Bill Belichick for his first challenge. I mean, first of all, he challenged two things on that first challenge. I didn't even know that. I, I, you know, I thought I thought you couldn't even do that. I was confused for a while. I didn't know which they were challenging at the spot or OPI, but he actually challenged both. And quite frankly, I didn't think he had a great case for either. That that pick that Kelsey, I think it was, set. That was pretty close to within one yard of the line of scrimmage, and and nothing was clear and obvious. The fact that he challenged. Both kind of feels to me like he was almost fishing for one or the other. He, that he didn't think he had a good case for either, but he thought he had a chance for one. You know, we we know that on PI they're not going to overturn it unless it's clear and obvious. That wasn't clear and obvious. It was too close. They're not overturning that. If if you watched these plays at all this year, you know that by now. So I, I didn't like the challenge, and if he hadn't used it, they could have challenged the Nikhil Harry play. So while I place 90 to 95% of the blame on the refs, I, I just I give a small percentage to Bill Belichick for what I would call wasting a challenge because he wasn't winning that. Challenges are in the game for coaches to use on obvious plays like the Heel Harry one, not the first play he challenged. So I, I just give that little bit of blame to Bill Belichick. He should have had a challenge in that situation, and he didn't. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree. Um I'm not going to lie, uh, maybe my uh, my eyes were a little different. I thought he had at least a chance. And I think, I believe Romo mentioned that he thought uh, Bill had a chance on getting the spot moved a little bit because they had the ball directly at the 40-yard line. It didn't even look like any part of Sammy Watkins' body moved to the 40-yard line. But you have to remember, and this is you know basically what you said, the, the refs so seldomly will overturn something that's close like that. Like if it's a matter of, you know, a half a yard like that, it's probably just not going to happen. So I think you're right in the aspect that, you know, how important really is it? It's going to, you know, still be the ball, still going to be within a half yard of the first down, even if you win that challenge. So how important is it, you know, when plays like what we saw after that, where you have to challenge the fumble because the refs get it wrong, and then you can't challenge the Harry play, you're right. Something so insignificant where you're probably not going to get it, you know, based on the statistics from, you know, success rates over the course of the season for, you know, coaches across the NFL. I feel like you made a very good point. It has to be clear and obvious this year more than ever, I feel like. So you shouldn't have three or four plays that you need to challenge over the course of a game. But when you do need that one challenge in the Harry play, he should have had it, in my opinion. That's all I'm saying. So it is unfortunate that the refereeing was so bad that he had all these plays he felt the need to challenge. But that that was the case, and I felt you real you you know obviously the Harry one was a lot more challengeable than that first one, and he would have loved to have that challenge back, and I didn't even think it was worth challenging. So uh, I will say quickly just one more thing about that play. 
pretty impressive stuff from Nikhil Harry, right? I mean, I mean that that's what he showed in college. Great ability with the ball in his hands, breaking tackles, creating extra yards, and, and that's why I thought he was perfect for the Patriots. That describes their receivers perfectly. So on that play, he really showed signs of life, and, and that's what really stinks about it being not called the touchdown. Not only did it cost you the game, a really important one, but it, it also took what it would have been a really encouraging and potentially confidence-building play away from a struggling young player. Yeah, honestly, I, I was, I believe... Just about 50-50, probably. Upset about the call at the time and upset that, you know, Nikhil Harry's ultimate confidence boost play that he needed was literally stripped out of his hands. I mean, he, like you said, he made an incredible play. I mean, he, he caught the ball basically at the line of scrimmage and then, you know, took several people down and, you know, maneuvered his way all the way to the pylon. So, yeah, I, I was terribly disappointed, um, you know, to see that get taken away from him. And like you said, it's a guy who's been struggling a little bit and they didn't really play him in the first half of the game. Um, you know, you were seeing the tweets coming in from from the reporters who were on the, uh, uh, you know, in the stadium saying, Nikhil's been on the sideline all day, pretty much. He hasn't been on the field for an offensive snap. So he gets out there, tries to make a name for himself and prove that he can do something. And, you know, he doesn't get the result. Although I will say, I think Brady and Belichick, uh, with them both knowing how wrong the call was, will, you know, acknowledge that it was a nice play by the kid and maybe try it again soon. Yeah. So let's talk about another struggling player, Sony Michelle, because Michelle. I feel like he's kind of gotten off a little bit easy this season overall. A lot of blame for the lack of a running game has fallen on the Patriots' offensive line, but Michelle deserves a lot more blame than he's getting to me. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Obviously, there have been issues with the offensive line, and I believe we've talked about them on this show you know, in past episodes, but you can't place all the blame on an offensive line, especially one that has improved in the past couple weeks and you still haven't seen Michelle improve. All right, so are you ready for this? The, the yards per attempt for the Patriots' four main running backs. Number one, Brandon Bolden. He's first, 4.5 yards per carry. Number two, James White, 4.2 yards per carry. Number three, Rex Burkhead, 3.8 yards per carry. And dead last, 3.5 yards per carry, Sony Michelle. So this isn't just an offensive line problem. That's a Sony Michelle problem. Other guys have gotten in there and produced better than he has. And, you know, as a first-round pick, he just isn't producing the way that a first-round pick running back should. I mean, it, it's one thing for a guy that you picked in the first round to, I mean, the, the reason people don't pick running backs in the first round is because they fall apart so easily later in their careers and they, they, their careers are very short. But for him not to have this, he, he looks like he's already like a seven year, eight year guy because he doesn't have any sort of burst. He just kind of falls through the holes. There was one play where James White had this huge hole and he came bursting through it and get, got a 20 yard gain. And you just rarely see Sony Michelle make a play like that. It's, it's just, it seems like he just takes like three or four yards and he's always stumbling after he gets the ball and he can barely really make plays himself. He's just relying so much on things to be given to him. And even then, it's just so hard for him to do much with it. So I, when you look at the yards per carry this season, it's just clear to me that he can no longer be part of your offense because it was bad enough when he was just your worst pass catching running back. Now he might be your worst rushing running back. So I, I'm not sure what they're supposed to do with him at this point. Yeah, I mean, I know Brandon Bolden has been a small sample size, but I'd give that guy the ball at least a few more times than they do per game. Um, with that being said, though, I agree on Sony Michelle. Um, there's zero ability to break a tackle for the guy. Like you said, he cannot really make a play for himself. It has to be one of those, you know, the offensive line opened up a hole big enough to drive a bus through type plays for Sony Michelle to get a 20-yard gain. Um, you know, so I, I personally 
agree that, you know, it's time to kind of phase him out of the offense. I mean, you know, maybe against Cincinnati, you have a chance to try to get him a few carries and get him going. But at this point, you know, is he really going to be consistent when they face somebody, you know, who's good competition, has a good defense, a good defensive front, because he hasn't been good against any of those teams. Um, The efficiency numbers are definitely alarming. Um, So yeah, I I don't know. He's lucky in my opinion, though, that he had a historic postseason last year, or else Patriots fans would really be ready to completely write the guy off as a total bust. But you know, at least his uh, his performance last year will stay in the history book. So he's got a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card, but I really don't want to see him on the field too much more. And, and the worst part about it is when he doesn't get a lot of carries, the Patriots do really struggle. So, I mean, when he really gets going, that's when they find their success. In his five games where he's had 10 or fewer carries, they're 2-3. and three. Those are their only losses this season. They're 8-0 when he has 11-plus carries. So this game... He had five carries and they just took him out. And I don't blame them. He wasn't performing. But if he is performing and you're handing the ball off to him, it works. And that's what people were upset about in the Texans game because they felt like the running game was working early in that game and they stopped going to it. This time around, it was the opposite. He, It, it was not working and they just took him right out. So it wasn't the exact opposite. But in this case, it, they, they actually were justified in taking him out. So you'd like to see them get him going, but I just don't think... You, I think you need to move on to other guys. Like you said, Brandon Bolden... It seems like every time he gets the ball, something good happens. So I would like, to, I would love to see them use Brandon Bolden more. It sounds crazy because honestly, he seems like one of the, maybe their least talented rusher. When you when you go through those yards per game uh, or yards per carry numbers that I just went through, it seems like they're in the inverse of what you would expect, right? You would expect Sony Michelle is their best rushing back, uh, and then Rex Burkhead's second, and James White's a solely pass-catching guy, and then Brandon Bolden shouldn't play at all, but it turns out to be the opposite. So, uh, you know, just give Brandon Bolden some more carries and see if he, you know, makes the most of it, because so far this season, it's really worked. Yeah, and I mean, I think it partially has to do with game flow to a certain extent. You know, when you're playing the teams that we were 8-0 against, those, you know, most of those teams we're not quite as good of competition as obviously the the two and three stretch that we've, you know, been in with him, you know, not getting the ball as much. But yeah, I, I mean, you saw it. We've literally, the proof is in the pudding from last season to the postseason. When Sony Michelle goes, the Patriots offense really goes. Um, you know, it opens up things big time for, you know, the passing game to have a running back who's effective. Um, and he just hasn't been. So, you know, you put James White on the field and, you know, obviously they're probably going to assume passes coming. Sony can't catch a pass. I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I wanted to see more from the guy, and I want to keep giving him chances. But with those numbers, him being last in efficiency, I know Bill says he's not, you know, necessarily numbers and an analytics guy. But, um, you know, you, you have to go with what the numbers are telling you there and at least try to phase in Burkhead, White, and a little more Bolden. And you hate to do that to a guy who is the first, uh, a first-round pick, but... You might have to because he, he it's just not working with him out there when I mean he's last on the yards per carry list. So um, moving past the Cincinnati game because honestly I think we both agreed it's probably going to be a blowout. That Buffalo game is coming up pretty quickly and if the Bills can beat the Steelers, which is no layup but should be doable, you're looking at the most meaningful divisional game in the AFC East since at least at least the early Rex Ryan years, if not longer. So. If the Bills were to beat the Patriots, you they could very well be the five seed. So I, you know, I have a hard time believing that'll actually happen, but that's another story. It's at least possible as of week 15 for the Bills to win the division, which is more than you could say about any AFC East team 
really for the better part of the last two decades. Yeah, actually. So I have a question about that. So say the Bills, like you said, they play the Steelers. If they win that game, then they somehow come into Gillette. Actually, I shouldn't even say somehow because they are a very good football team. So say they win the two games. They beat the Steelers. They beat the Patriots. Wouldn't that leave, obviously, you've played each other twice and you've each won one. So that's, you know, it's not going to be head to head. What is it? It goes to what? Your in-division record? Um, I'm not sure what Buffalo's in-division record is, um, but the Patriots would have their only loss be against Buffalo. Um, so we could be going through a lot of tiebreakers, jumping through a lot of hoops. Do you know how that works exactly? Well, let's see. So we got to break a tie within the division. You gave me enough time to look it up, thankfully. So best one loss tied percentage in games within the division. So you're actually correct about that, that it is. However, the teams have fared within their own division, which makes sense. I, I, I like you, I'm not quite sure what the Bills record is in their division is. I haven't kept up with it. But as I'm looking at it now, they did beat the Jets week one. I remember that game. I actually did watch that game. That was the game where the Jets had a 16-0 lead and then completely blew it at the end. Oh, yeah. Um, they beat the Dolphins. They beat the Dolphins again. So things aren't looking too good. And they play the Jets here at the end of the season. So, yeah, if the, if the okay, so now we're in another trouble. If the Bills were to win and then beat the Jets week 17, then the Patriots game would be their only loss. They would be 5-1 too. So then we have to move on to the next tie-breaking procedure, which I'm going to have to go back to that page now which is best one-loss tied percentage in common games. So now, are we really going to go through all this? We're going to go through the Bills' schedule in, t- in its entirety. That would be, I guess, the they both played the NFC East this year, right? So uh, in the NFC East, the Bills beat the Cowboys. Let's see, they beat the Redskins. And did they, I mean, hopefully they lost to the Eagles. We're going to have to keep doing this because uh, the, the Patriots, I think, they. oh, the, the Patriots went undefeated in the NFC East, right? Actually, I believe didn't. I think the Eagles did beat the Bills. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm looking, pretty sure. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, the Eagles did beat the Bills, and the Patriots went undefeated. So the the Patriots would have the tiebreaker over the Bills. So yes, uh, that that does look good for the Patriots. Then if if they even if they lose to the Bills, they would have to lose another one of these games against Cincinnati or against Miami to lose uh, the division. So. Okay, uh, so things aren't as drastic as they may seem. I, I don't know if anybody's actually broken down that down yet, or we're the first. But no matter what happens on uh, ne- next Sunday, not this not this coming Sunday, but the Sunday after that, the Patriots will own the tiebreaker over the Bills. Uh, that that and that's even assuming I think that, or well, I guess there's a way that they wouldn't, right? Uh, if if the Patriots would happen to lose to the Dolphins and the Bills beat the Jets, I don't know if you even need the tiebreaker at that point. But if that were to happen, then they wouldn't own the tiebreaker. But uh, the way things are looking now, it's hard to believe they won't own the tiebreaker. So I guess that's the way we should, that's the best way to explain it to people. It's it's hard to know that there's no certainty in it now, but it's it's looking like the Patriots are going to own the tiebreaker over the Bills. I guess that's the best way we can say it. I, I'm very glad we did that. I, honestly, I think that was pretty impressive. I think we deserve a pat on the back, or more so you deserve a pat on the back for that on-the-fly on the activity right there to figure that out. Um, I think that's pretty encouraging news uh, for Patriots fans. I, I haven't seen that you know scenario fully broke down. Um, but when you think of it, like you, know, like you just laid it out, they would have to lose one of these games against you know one of these subpar to less than subpar teams um, to lose the tiebreaker. So that's at least pretty good news for the Patriots, I think, moving forward. Um, but you still really don't want to lose to the Bills. If you lose to the Bills at home, 
Um, you can't really have too much momentum going into the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, obviously, hope we don't have to get to the tiebreaker scenario, but I'm very glad we played that out, so now we know. Well, uh, that does take a little bit of the shine off the game. I'll say that. You know, I, I do hope they at least still get a good game, and, you know, there will still be something to play for, even if the Bills aren't directly playing for the division lead because of those tiebreaker situations. Uh, they can hope to be, you know, they can hope that the Miami Dolphins can beat the Patriots. I don't know how much they, they really will believe that, but they, they, you know, there's always that chance. So uh, they can cross their fingers, I guess. But I hope we get a good game and they can actually win because they haven't had a lot of good wins this season. And it feels kind of weird to be counting the Bills as a good win, but beggars can't be choosers. So you can go ahead and, and call beating the Bills a quality win. I'll give you that this season. Yeah, it's, it, it, like I said, I think it's still a very important game. Um, you know, you need to, you can't just get to the postseason and flip the switch completely. I know the Patriots have, you know, basically seemed like a transformed team, you know, certain seasons when they go from the regular season to the postseason. But you have to start to lay the groundwork, you know, in some capacity. So a game against the Bills, a very feisty defense, and they come back into your stadium where you just lost your winning streak. Um, there's definitely a lot of pride involved in that. So, I mean, like you said, game definitely loses its shine after, you know, you play out the whole scenario. Um, but it's still a, a pretty big game for both teams to see where they're at. Uh, all right, so before we get out of here, it looks like the Patriots will not be getting the one seed. The Ravens now have a one-game lead, and they own that tiebreaker with three games to go. So that's going to be almost impossible to overcome. So how concerned are you about that, the potential of Baltimore having home field throughout the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be pretty honest with you and tell you that I was I was quite concerned last year when they didn't have home field advantage throughout the playoffs, and they proved me wrong. Um, I know that's kind of the classic Patriots fan thing to do is to, you know, point back to the years past and say, oh, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. Um, I don't necessarily think, uh, you know, that's a lock or that's true, um, but I think we have to cross that bridge when we get to it at this point. You know, it, it is what it is, and the Patriots are the ones who have put themselves in this situation, um, and it's, you know, like you said, probably a hole that they're not going to be able to climb themselves out of before the end of the regular season. But you can't, you know, catch yourself looking too far ahead to what you're going to do at your second crack in Baltimore um, and, you know, potentially look past, you know, one of these first round matchups that they could have in, you know, divisional weekend, assuming that they keep the first round buys the number two seed. You know, you could have the Chiefs coming back into town based on, you know, the, the scenarios they were playing out yesterday. So you can't look past what you have to do to get there. But it's definitely a cloud hanging over their head that, you know, they're going to go to a place where they, you know, kind of got exposed, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be tough to beat Baltimore on the road, but there's not a lot you can do about it now. You know, I, as, as you did, I, I thought it was going to be tough for them to go into Kansas City last year and win, and they did. So I'm not going to say they can't win in Baltimore, but it, it's certainly far from an ideal situation. You know, a lot of people, though, a lot of people out there don't believe in Lamar Jackson. You know, I, I do, but some people find it hard to believe that the Ravens could win a Super Bowl with him at quarterback. So... If you're one of those people out there, then you should feel pretty confident about the Patriots going into Baltimore for the AFC Championship game. I mean, if Lamar Jackson isn't going to win a Super Bowl ever, then I would expect nobody thinks he's going to beat the Patriots in the AFC Championship game either. So uh, I, I guess for those people out there that still think that running quarterbacks can't do it in the NFL, they should feel pretty confident even if they're playing Baltimore on the road. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think the people out there who don't think running quarterbacks can do it in the NFL just haven't been watching Lamar Jackson. Um, I, I mean, 
you know, maybe his shelf life won't be 15, 20 years like, you know, pocket passers, but we're not too worried about that right now. We're worried about the season at hand. Uh, so the Lamar haters, honestly, I'd love to sit here and tell you that Lamar Jackson was overrated because, like we mentioned, he's the guy that the Patriots most likely have to go through in his building to get to the Super Bowl. But he's not. He, he's an incredible talent, and he's going to be very tough to match up with. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely not one of those people who, you know, is writing him off or thinks he's overrated, thinks that one game was a fluke. I think, you know, he's got serious energy, serious talent. And, you know, like I said, I think it is a cloud hanging over the Patriots head that that's potentially who you run into. Or thinks you don't think his style is something you can't win with either. I just want to, cause we, we don't. I mean, I don't see why it wouldn't be. I mean, he's he's winning games now. He's impossible to guard. I mean, the the juke moves he puts on at the line of scrimmage on linebackers and safeties are ridiculous. The way he's just able to freeze guys. And people kind of say, oh, he's a running back to disparage him. No, no, no. He's a quarterback that can run like a running back. That makes him sound a whole lot scarier, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, he, he throws ropes. I mean, he throws the ball on a line, generally pretty accurate. I mean, th- there's really not many gripes. And uh, going back to your question, uh, you know, to answer it for you, you know, having to do with his style. Um, yeah, I, I think his style translates to potentially winning a championship this year. Um, you know, we saw it with, you know, obviously I hate to use him as an example. We saw it with RG3. The league kind of adjusted to RG3 and figured him out. And obviously injuries played a big factor there because of his play style. But right here, right now, talking about this season, there is absolutely zero reason that any educated football fan should believe that Lamar Jackson's play style can't take them to the championship. Yeah. Also, you mentioned the Chiefs earlier, just a minute ago. The Patriots also only have a one-game lead over the Chiefs now. And the Chiefs own that tiebreaker. So... How concerned are you about potentially having to play on wildcard weekend this year? Yeah, that's actually a good wrinkle to, to what we just laid out with, you know, the, the Bills game and stuff right there, is that if the Patriots were to lose that Bills game, because you'd say now at this point, looking at the schedule, that's probably your scariest game left. If you lose that Bills game, that puts the Chiefs into the two seed. I, you know, you're going to assume, uh, you know, assume the worst that the Chiefs win out. So if they win out and the Patriots can't win out, you're, like you said, you're looking at wild card weekend, which is, you know, something we haven't looked at in quite some time. So, I mean, you'd probably have, you know, a home game. Actually, you definitely would have a home game wild card weekend, but then you'd be on the road for the divisional round and potentially the AFC championship. That's daunting. They, you know, the Patriots have, I, I believe personally, their backs up against the wall. You got to win out at this point because you do not want that to happen. Yeah, so so Kansas City, they have the Broncos, the Bears, and the Chargers left on their schedule. That Bears game is the only one that's on the road, so it's it's clearly the toughest out of the three. They're the best team, and it's on the road, and so it, that's the game for Kansas City. But other than that, it's still fairly easy. The the Bears are only seven and six, so that, that being the toughest game, it's not exactly a you know a daunting one. So, but between that and the Bills, as unlikely as that scenario is. The threat is real for the Patriots potentially coming in and, and playing on wildcard weekend, and maybe even on the road. It, it's coming at you from two different directions. So they, they really just need to take care of business these last few weeks here. These are winnable games, and you didn't win the tough ones this year. You lost your three toughest games, so you have to win the easy ones. You can't get away with losing the tough ones on your schedule and slipping up against the Bengals or the Dolphins. So they, they just have to take care of business and make sure they do it these in these next, last few weeks here. Because usually, you know, you end up, you know, if you have the three toughest games on your schedule, you'll go one and two. Or if you're the Patriots, maybe two and one. 
This year you went 0-3, so you need to make sure you don't have any slip-ups like you have in years past against these bad teams. Yeah, I mean, realistically, you think about it, you're looking at a Patriots team that if they win out and the ball is in their court, they could be a 13-3 and team. I mean, with all the negativity that surrounded this team, you can't be too mad strutting into the playoffs at 13-3. and So I personally think, you know, Get your business done. You can't control what happened in the past anymore. You can't really fix it. The only thing you can do is be ready to play whatever one of those teams is waiting for you in the postseason. And the way to do that is to start gaining confidence by winning out. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Remember, you can follow Colin on Twitter at Kanata Colin, I should say, at Kanata Colin, and check out his podcast, What a Hardo, wherever you get your podcast. Colin, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, guys. You can also follow me on Twitter at KJLGBS. Follow the pod on Twitter at Wicked Smart Pod. Check out everything over at Guy Boston Sports. And thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week.